2: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Mike Todorovich, and I'm joined by my other host, Dr. Matt Barton. How are you, Matt?
3: Hello, Michael. Uh,
2: at the very beginning of this episode, you would have heard our theme tune, and part of that theme tune goes, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. That, my friend, if you weren't aware, is a heart beating. And your heart, Matthew, that enlarged heart that you do have- Muscle pump beats around about 100,000 times in 24 hours mm. in a single day. And around about...
3: Doesn't have a break?
2: Never takes a break. 2.5 billion times in your lifetime, it will beat nonstop. It doesn't just go, you know what, I'm just going to stop for a few I'm minutes. you're taking today off. If it does, you're taking <laughs> the rest of the day off. Because that heart is pumping that blood around your body. It's delivering oxygen and nutrients to the tissues and helping remove... Any waste products from the tissues as well, and needs to do this constantly. The heart is an amazing structure, and the associated vessels are there to help support its role. And that's what today's topic is going to be. It's the whole cardiovascular system. Wow, we're going through the whole thing, man. That's significant. Uh, so we're going to have time. Is everyone ready for a five-hour episode? <laughs> No, we will make sure we cover all the important points that your lecturer would cover uh, and we're going to make sure we do it in a way that makes a lot of sense and is extremely helpful. So
3: I'm leaving the room then.
2: and gets you through the exams. Yeah, so (laughs) Matt's not going to be joining us for this one because he will further complicate the matter. But all right, let's just begin with a general overview. I alluded to what the heart does and let's just say cardiovascular system.
3: So cardio heart vascular vessels. So this is the system that encompasses those two things, Perfect. those two components. The point the point, is basically to deliver blood. Would you-
2: so blood's the most important thing here. It's just that this is a pump and various conduits. Pump, pump, and, pump and pipes. Pump and pipes, like which our, is the original our boy name band, of our boy band. Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike. <laughs> who was pump and who was pipe? <laughs> it doesn't matter. I don't think we should delve any deeper into that. Um, <laughs> so the blood's what's important here. And the heart pumps the blood, and the vessels are conduits or pipes. Yeah. All right. So, what's in the blood that's so important for the heart to pump around? Um. Well,
3: where, do you, where does it end, really, Michael? Oh, well, but maybe um, let's first say op, where does op, it begin. Oxygen would be a big one. All right. Nutrients.
2: Yep. Like what?
3: Um, glucose. Okay. Proteins. Cool. Yeah.
2: Well, amino acids.
3: Okay. Fats.
2: Yep. Um. Well, try, like triglycerides specifically, glycerol okay. and. Uh, um, fatty acids, the water, the or, water, or plasma. Yep,
3: electrolytes. Oh yeah, um, temperature.
2: No, oh. well,
3: not really. Well, no, no. It has no, a good temperature point. associated with it. This is a good point. But it's Be, important because that's what
2: the 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 temp. So obviously, the tissues of the body need to make ATP. Yep. Right. Uh, in, and in doing so, when it makes ATP, or even when it uses ATP. Uh, More specifically, it produces heat as a byproduct. And that heat needs to be dissipated somehow. And because all these tissues are going to be perfused with blood, Mm. the blood or the fluid within the blood is the best way to remove this heat. So it does carry the temperature of the body. So you're not wrong. You just didn't articulate it very well. (laughs) Okay, what else does the blood do? Um, It would help. Hormones, carries hormones? Hormones uh,
3: maintain the pH of the blood. Oh, very good. Yeah, um, we said temperature, and then also protection. So that would be protection, immunologically. So, oh yeah, to prevent infections. Yes, So yes. It, would, it would carry an army with it. Yeah, of but white that, blood cells. Yeah, so that's most of it, I reckon. Well, that's simplified. A, that's delivering. Yeah,
2: but it removes stuff too, right? So, oh yeah, so
3: all the waste products that the tissues generate, a
2: carbon dioxide, after
3: doing its aerobic or anaerobic. Respiration or making ATP yeah. with or without oxygen um, has to take it away and get rid of.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it has to do it constantly because all the tissues are yeah. always working. Yeah. So, so, taking away the carbon oxides, take away metabolic byproducts like urea, ammonia, yeah. lactate, and things like
3: and that. And so, um, you would say that the cardiovascular system transports this blood. Yes. But also, it needs to perfuse it into the tissue. So, it's not Ooh, just perfuse. That's so, a good word. So, it's not carrying it there. It has to force it out of the
2: pipes into the tissue has to deliver it in an appropriate quantity and and an appropriate force so that it feeds the tissues and we can get to that point shortly so that's great Uh, the heart is a muscular pump yep that, allows for, that so generates now, the force to push this blood yeah, yep. uh, and it moves through different types of pipes or different types of vessels which go from arteries to arterioles to capillaries to venules to veins and then back to the heart again yep. and then the whole thing starts all over again. Mm-hmm. So I think what we should do is generally overviewing the basic anatomy and then we can go into more detailed anatomy. So I think the very first thing is Again, cardiovascular system is comprised of a heart, which is a pump. It's made up of four chambers, which the blood will move through sequentially. There's no backward flow, at least mm. there shouldn't be. Hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully not. One way flow through the heart. Uh, when the heart, when the blood leaves the heart, it always leaves the heart into arteries, and arteries are the biggest. So, in
3: definition, arteries take blood away from the heart.
2: Yeah, I always think about the A and artery. Away. Being away from the heart. And arteries are the biggest vessels. And V? Um, v for what?
3: Um, I don't know. You're going with these terms. No,
2: just do A for away <laughs> and then you can just say veins by default will return blood to the heart.
3: Okay. I thought you were going to say it's a German word for towards or something. I
2: don't know. I, I don't speak German, okay. um, unfortunately. So arteries are taking blood away from the heart. Uh, they will branch a multitude of times. And the smallest arteries are called arterioles. Uh, These arterioles will then deliver blood to capillaries, which are the areas in which blood delivers all those nutrients and will remove all those wastes. And then it turns into venules and then veins, and then the veins go back to the heart itself. So the heart being four chambers has two sides to it. The left-hand side... So we're
3: we now, now going to focus it on the heart?
2: Not, not yet. I'm okay. just briefly talking about this and we'll talk about its location in the body first. So it's the heart is separated by two sides and both sides shouldn't mix. And so the left-hand side predominantly deals with that oxygen-rich, nutrient-rich blood and the right side generally deals with oxygen-poor uh, nutrient-poor blood. Now, before we go into the details of all that, we should talk about where the heart is. In the body, like is it in your pants? Chest. Is it chest? Okay, it's in your chest. That's the first thoracic, step. Thoracic cavity. All right, we're going into more detail here. Yep. Um, it's about the size of two fists put together or I should say both your hands, if you were to encompass one hand with the other and make a fist with both of them together, that's about the size of your heart.
3: What well, else if you're like a, a fish or a whale? Because like, they only have uh, fins. Yes, it's
2: uh, two fins put together. <laughs> If you're a whale, it's like the size of a Volkswagen, isn't it? Yeah. Beetle. Beetle. Or a
3: blue whale anyway.
2: Yes, yes. Not um, not like a little… minky. Minky whale. <laughs> little albino minky whale. Um, so two fists in your thoracic cavity. It is sitting behind your sternum, which is your chest bone, but in front of your vertebrae. It sits in an area called the mediastinum, which sits... Mediastinum. Mediastinum. Okay, whatever, mate. Uh, which sits between your lungs. Yeah. And the heart, the bottom part of the heart is pointy and the top of the heart is flat.
3: So it's like a pyramid.
2: Upside down. Yeah. And the top, strangely enough, the flat part is called the base, but that's at the top. And the pointy part is called the apex. And the apex of the heart, the pointy bottom, <laughs> which, which is you're often referred to as, uh, points towards your left hip. So it's got a bit of an angle to it, this heart. Um, the base being the top, that's where all the vessels will enter and leave the heart. Yeah. Now the very top, the base of the heart sits at around about your second rib mm-hmm. and the apex is around about your fourth intercostal space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the way that I tell my students to find their fourth intercostal space is on the left-hand side to find where the apex is sitting, right? Because the heart's a little bit to the left. Of, of in your thoracic cavity so go to your n- left nipple and then go well, to well this is
3: a bit subjective to people from uh, people to people, uh, people
2: generally generally speaking generally speaking if you go to your left nipple and then feel the first space between your ribs underneath your left nipple that's going to be around about your fourth to fifth intercostal space and if you leave your hand there I'm feeling it right now you should be able to feel your heartbeat and that's the apex of your heart hitting against your thoracic wall beautiful just beautiful.
3: So, have you seen that cartoon of uh, a bikey um, saying to an old lady, um, show us your boobs? No, I haven't. <laughs> and then she, like, just lifts up her um, bottom of her T-shirt <laughs> and they're, 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 like, hanging to her knees. Okay, so
2: in so that <laughs> in that instance, um, the way I just described the location of the heart wouldn't, wouldn't work, be relevant. No, that
3: would be, like, near the... The yeah, femur.
2: The popliteal. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I, get, I get your point. I get yes, your point. So obviously it is subjective, but that's a, a, an approximation of where it's located. So that's where it sits within the heart, uh, within the thoracic cavity, within the body. It is surrounded by, so if we go from the outside in, the heart is surrounded by a case, a called, wrap called the pericardial sac. Yep. Peri meaning around, cardial meaning heart. Sac is something that you put things in. <laughs> and so this pericardial sac... In this sac, case, it's the heart. Yeah. And it's connective tissue predominantly um, with some epithelia. Uh, it's two-layered. And this epithelia produces a fluid called a serous fluid. Not serous, but serous, S-E-R-O-U-S. And this fluid basically provides... So what
3: provides is the two layers? The Fibrous and serous?
2: Yeah, the, the, the you've got the visceral uh, epicardium, uh, so the the visceral pericardium, and the parietal parietal.
3: With the, I think the fibrous is kind of the outer wrapping of it all. That's right. Yeah.
2: Now this serous fluid that's been produced by, between the visceral and parietal pericardium, that's there because obviously the heart's going to be moving, and when the heart moves, it's gonna, really? it's going to rub, and you don't want there to be rubbing if there is a lot of friction going on because you'll get a lot of chest pain. Yeah. It'll be horrible. And then you'll get inflammation, then you get a whole bunch of issues. So you've got this fluid being produced, which creates this frictionless environment within the pericardial sac, so the heart can move around. Now you can have problems with this pericardial sac, right? I mean you can have infections, viral, bacterial, and it results in inflammation of this sac. So that's pericarditis. That's right. And uh and because it ends in itis, that's inflammation, and anytime you have inflammation, you have swelling. It's one of the cardinal signs. So you produce huge amounts of that serous fluid, and it becomes so great that so much pressure is built up in that sac that it puts, it impedes the heart's ability to shift and move. Oh yeah. And they get huge amounts of chest pain.
3: Or, or, or to feel.
2: Yeah, and it, yeah, so it impedes the heart's ability so that would to be
3: feel, a, like a, something called a tamponade, which that, then needs to be relieved. Yeah, yeah. So that could actually come from blood.
2: It's true. So yeah. if you
3: had a, one of your blood vessels on your heart broke, it would bleed into this sac and yes. then it would start to take up space and the heart can't feel well.
2: So that's the importance of knowing the pericardial sac. As we move in, you've then got the outside of the heart itself, the epicardium, and then you've got the myocardium, which makes up the bulk of the heart, which is the heart muscle, and then you've got the endocardium, which is the inside of the heart itself. So let's just now take a look at the heart and some of the features of the heart. I said there's four chambers. So these are hollowed out areas of the heart. Two up the top, two down the bottom. Yep. What are the two up the top called? They're the atria. And what is the singular? Atrium. Now you've got two down the bottom. What are they called?
3: Uh, Ventricles.
2: Uh, And what is the singular? (laughs) I think that's it. Ventricle.
3: Ventricle. That's
2: right. Remove the S. So blood will always enter the heart into the atria. Blood will always exit the heart from the ventricles and therefore blood will flow to the atria, then to the ventricles, then out of the heart and then it goes to where it needs to go and then the whole thing happens again and And again. So this is
3: in like a a parallel circuit, like there's two kind of circuits happening at the same time.
2: Absolutely right.
3: So there's a circuit that's going to the body, Mm -hmm. so taking blood to the whole entire body and bringing it back. Yep. But there's also a circuit taking blood to the lungs and yes. bringing it back.
2: Okay. I think that's a great segue. Because
3: it's not kind of like blood goes, even though we will do this mm. and it's kind of the easiest way to teach it.
2: Mm. Which is what we're going to do now.
3: But it's not like in reality of what's happening in our body. Yeah. Blood, blood doesn't just start at the atrium. And then has to go through this linear yes. process. It's
2: all, it's blood like, is everywhere at once, yeah, doing right. all of this at once. But... In saying that to make things easier, if let's just say let's start let's start um, let's start at the lungs. I think we should start at lungs. I don't think
3: anyone ever does this. All right, let's start at the
2: left (laughs) atrium. Then, God, I want it to be different. Right right.
3: atrium, right atrium.
2: You want to start the right atrium?
3: Yep. Okay, because we're bringing blood back from the body.
2: So should we start the body?
3: Um, All right. No, no. Let's just go right atrium.
2: (laughs) Okay, we are in the right atrium. So this is the top right chamber of the heart. Yep. In this atrium, we have blood that's come back from the body. Yep. So it's delivered the oxygen, delivered the nutrients, taken some of the wastes, taken things like carbon dioxide and so forth. Yep. So this is predominantly deoxygenated blood. We'll leave it at that. Because leave, it, it at that. Yeah, leave it at that. Just, just say it's got
3: a, a lesser amount of oxygen than the other side of the heart.
2: And it jumps into the right atrium.
3: Yep. The right
2: atrium. Should we
3: talk about the main vessels that bring it here? No. Okay. All right. Uh, We'll
2: we'll end with that. Okay. Yep. So this blood's gone back to the right atrium.
1: Okay.
2: Predominantly deoxygenated. That right atrium will contract and push blood down to the chamber beneath it, which is the right ventricle. Now, because we said that blood movement through the heart is one way, Mm -hmm. it moves through a valve which only allows one way movement. Yep. So this heart valve separates the atri- the right atrium from the right ventricle yep. and it's called the right atrioventricular valve. Makes sense. Or the? Well, the the valve itself
3: has cusps associated, associated with it and in this particular side it has three cusps. So we just call it a, a tricuspid yeah. valve.
2: Cusps or leaflets, they're yeah. basically bits of um, endocardium that sort of project out. Yeah,
3: they're kind of just like uh, parachute... Um, What's yeah. the top of the parachute where it actually... It's
2: called the parachute. Okay. Yeah.
3: So the, the part that captures the air to stop you falling to your death. Yes. That has kind of three components to it. And that's got why we call it the
2: tricuspid valve. Yeah. So it allows one-way movement. It allows for the blood to go from atria, right atrium to right ventricle.
3: But not the other way. But
2: not the other way. So now that the blood's through the, this tricuspid valve or right atrioventricular valve, it's in the right ventricle, then the right ventricle will contract. Now, the blood will get pushed against all the walls of the right ventricle, including the tricuspid valve, but it doesn't let that backflow. Luckily, flow. it's closed. That's right. So it only exits the way that it can exit, which is the one vessel called an artery. And this vessel is called the pulmonary artery.
3: What if does you, pulmonary mean? If you want to be technical, it's, it starts with the trunk.
2: Okay, so it exits the pulmonary trunk, which is still a part of the pulmonary artery. Yeah, it's still an artery,
3: but you just call it a trunk because it's the largest part of the tree.
2: So what does pulmonary mean? Lung. Okay, so an artery means it's leaving the heart. So it all makes sense now. This is a vessel that's going to the lungs, it's leaving the heart. And so it goes from the pulmonary trunk, and because you've got two lungs, one either side of the heart, this vessel needs to split in two. It's no, known as bifurcation, bifurcation to go to the right and left lung. And so now you've got the right and left pulmonary arteries. Mm-hmm. The blood that goes to this these lungs becomes now oxygenated, drops off the carbon dioxide, picks up oxygen. Now we've got oxygenated blood. This leaves the lungs and goes back to the heart. But this time it's going to the left-hand side of the heart via a vein and because this vein veins... Veins, veins. Oh, no, you're right. Multiple veins. Four veins, actually. Yep, yep. So these veins are coming from the lungs to the heart. Therefore, what would their names be?
3: Pulmonary veins. Pretty it's, easy, right? two on each side, so you have two left, two right.
2: Perfect. But, but both the left and right pulmonary veins go back to the left atrium. Yep. Now, oxygenated blood is entering the left atrium. That left atrium contracts and pushes blood through another one-way valve. Could the left atrioventricular valve, mm-hmm. also known as the... It's got two more names.
3: Yeah, so it's only got two cusps, so we can call it bicuspid. But the one it's most frequently referred to is because the shape of it looks like the the cap or the hat that the Pope wears.
2: Oh, I thought the Pope always wore like a backwards Yankees cap. <laughs> no. no?
3: Um, maybe Cardinal's... Yeah. this type of hat.
2: Yeah, like a very – it's so hard to explain. Just Google cardinal hat. Google mitral.
3: It's called a mitre. Mitre? mitre hat. Mitre hat. And that's why they call it the mitral valve because it kind of looks like this um, head headpiece that is um, – that like cardinal's wear.
2: Yeah. All right, so it's moved through this – Left atrioventricular valve, also known as the bicuspid valve, also known as the mitral mitra valve, valve, into the left ventricle. The left ventricle will contract. Now, here's the thing. When the left ventricle contracts, it's pumping blood out via an artery, mm-hmm. unsurprisingly. But this artery needs to deliver the blood to every tissue of the body. Every tissue, from the top of the head to the tip of the toes. So it needs to generate a lot of force. So it's got very thick muscle associated with it. And it leaves the left ventricle via what artery? The aorta. The aorta. Yes, and the aorta is enormous. Mm. So big I could get into it.
1: In the, Maybe not in that a while.
2: In, in, in a whale. In a whale. But um, no, it's probably about the size of your thumb. Your thumb could f- probably fit into your aorta. Um, and this you, wouldn't
3: be, you wouldn't be doing well if you did that
2: though, right? Well, I could do it to your aorta and i would be fine. Um, <laughs> so this aorta obviously needs to branch a multitude of times so that it can deliver blood up. To the head Mm -hmm. and down to the toes and everywhere in between. Uh, And we're not going to go through those branches today. Thank goodness. I mean, we could, but I think that's another episode. So the aorta and its branches are delivering blood now to the tissues of the body. It's dropped off the oxygen, picked up the carbon dioxide and various waste
3: products. And if you were to quantify all these blood vessels, what distance are we talking?
2: Okay, good question. Do you know the answer? Because I'm going to guess. Yeah, I know the answer. Hundred thousand kilometers. Hundred thousand kilometers. Yeah. Yep. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. The reason I remember that because the heart beats a hundred thousand times in a day, and there's a hundred thousand kilometers worth of blood vessels. Mm. I think I just Which remember
3: around the world twice.
2: There you go. So just my vessels wrap around the world twice. Yeah. Beautiful.
3: Now, saying that, all oh, right. The Here vast majority of them leave this is my guess, probably in the 90s percent would be microscopic. You couldn't see with your naked eye. No. So it's not like they're big vessels. What if my
2: eye was wearing clothing and it was no longer a naked eye? Could, could I see it?
3: If that clothing was a lens, a magnifying glass lens, mm-hmm. then
2: maybe. Okay, like a light microscope lens. <laughs> All right. Um, now, we've just delivered the oxygen via the branches of the aorta To the tissues of the body and now on the other side of these tissues, we've got blood vessels that are collecting this deoxygenated blood to deliver it back to where we began, which is the right side of the heart Mm. because it's going back to the heart. It's a vein. It's a vein. Now, it's going to go back to the heart from all the tissues below the heart and back to the heart from all the tissues above the heart. Yeah so and
3: the heart itself
2: oh good 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 oh we didn't talk about that okay let's okay let's just
3: We're reversing back
2: no not yet let's finish here. so what are these veins that are delivering the blood back to the heart from below and above
3: okay so if you're bringing blood back from say your legs yeah or your viscera in your abdomen Mm -hmm. and then basically the liver yeah um it's going to all coalesce into main one main vessel called the inferior vena cava. Beautiful. And that comes through the diaphragm and pretty much as it comes through the diaphragm through a hiatus, it pretty much enters the right atria.
2: Beautiful. And what about from above the heart?
3: Above, so this is going to be draining your face, your brain, your skull, your neck. Yeah, I'm going to drain your, your arm, bloody
2: face, skull and neck <laughs> in a minute. Your arms and yep.
3: the top of your thoracic cavity. Yep. Uh, it will come in... A, as the superior vena cava.
2: So you've got the inferior vena cava, superior vena cava, and they both enter the, the... right atria. Right atria. And we're back to the beginning. And we've got one more to add. Oh, yeah. And that's the
3: coronary sinus, which is... Um, Interesting. Just kind of tucked around the side of the tricuspid valve.
2: Yeah, so let's... I just want to... So a lot of people... And I, I'm guilty of this. When I first started biology many moons ago, uh, I think I just assume that the heart got its blood from within.
3: Like uh, diffusion.
2: Yeah, like the blood was in the heart at all times. So it's just going to get its nutrients through that mechanism. But just like every other tissue, it needs its own dedicated blood supply, which is delivered to the surface of the heart and then obviously moves more deeply to feed the tissue, um, called coronary arteries. And obviously the coronary arteries, just like every other tissue of the body... Which means crown needs to be a branch of the of the aorta.
3: So technically, the first two branches. Yes, yeah, the, the
2: very first branch or yeah. branches. And where did you say it is? So so we didn't talk about the valves leaving the heart, Matt. We spoke uh, about yeah, the valves. Yeah. Okay, so we apologise for this. But there are valves in both arteries leaving the ventricles. Yeah. So there's a valve called the pulmonary valve. Which is um, in the pulmonary trunk. That's yeah. right. So again... It's only allowing one-way flow. So the blood moves up through the pulmonary trunk and then when the heart relaxes, when that blood wants to fall back down into the ventricle, it doesn't. It gets stopped by this valve. So that's one valve called the pulmonary valve. Yep. And then the other one is the aortic valve.
3: And these these two, they don't have cusps like the other ones. Yeah. They have half moons. That's right. So they're called semilunar
2: valves. That's right. And so the coronary artery branches off just after this aortic valve, right? Yep. And so the left ventricle contracts, pushes blood up into the aorta, the heart relaxes, the blood wants to fall back down the aorta into the left ventricle, it gets caught by this aortic semilunar valve yep. and drains into the coronary arteries. Yeah, that's right. So unlike every other tissue of the body, the heart gets fed during relaxation, not during contraction. Yeah. So other tissues of the body need to the heart needs to contract to push the blood to it to so throw it towards it. Sorry about all the birds, throw the blood towards it. But the coronaries don't. When the heart relaxes, they drain into the coronary arteries and feed but it. That and way.
3: then I think when the heart goes into another systolic or a contractile phase, it but then it kind of squeezes the blood through the coronaries. Yes. Yep.
2: That's right. That's right. Beautiful. So I think we've gone through you know the internal anatomy of the heart. I think it's important to say that the heart valves are attached through little bits of what look like strings, like heart strings. Yeah. But they're called chordae tendinae.
3: Which are like the cords of the parachute.
2: Exactly. Yeah, and they're yeah. attached
3: to the wall of the ventricle.
2: Keeps it really tight. Very important. When the heart contracts, it pulls on those cords. if you have a problem with those cords,
3: so you could either blow a cord out. Um, they're attached to the wall of the ventricle by a muscle.
2: Yes, what's what's that called? A papillary muscle. Yes, so you those
3: papillary means um, nipple. That makes sense. It looks like that actually. Yeah. yeah if you look at them in a a, a heart, like a mm. cadaveric heart, mm. it actually looks kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. and it's
2: it's basically a, 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 and it, it's an extension. The valves are an extension of the endocardium which is basically mostly epithelium with some connective tissue associated with it. And an important point here is that the chordae tendinae, which are the heart strings, if you look at them they're really white. Really white, which tells you that there's not really a blood supply that goes to them. Okay. And this is important because if there is an infection of the endocardium, the inside of the heart, and you give somebody antibiotics, antibiotics can only get to areas that blood can deliver them to. Right which don't include the heartstrings. Yeah. And so the heart and the heartstrings, the chordae tendineae, are subject very um, sensitive to infection. And you can damage those heartstrings through viral or bacterial infection, which can then lead to um, those valves not closing properly because yeah, it's yeah. like cutting the strings of the parachute. Um, and Or they become stenotic. Yeah, so hardened. Yeah. And it means that the blood Hero. can... W- move backwards they can move in the opposite direction that the valve truly wants and, to and that's move.
3: what i was kind of referring to where you got the the cordae tendineae, which are the, the ropes or the strings that help to keep the valve closed um which are anchored tightly to the ventricle by the papillary muscles yeah yeah if, if your individual has a heart attack you could actually get death of tissue to the part that holds on to the um to the oh, the papillary cords, muscle, yeah. And then you it releases the cord off. Yeah. And so you get these flappy uh, valve cusps. Yes. And, and that leads to a regurgitation.
2: Yes. Yeah. So when the ventricle contracts, instead of pushing it out of the respective artery, it, goes it pushes backwards it, backwards it and back, back into the atrium. And that the becomes atrium. then a problem. Yeah. Yep. So that's the internal structure. So we've got the endocardium, which is the internal lining, nice and smooth, covered in endothelium. We've got papillary muscles attached to chordae tendineae, attached to heart valves. They're all continuations of this endocardium. Do you lo- want
3: to do any of the noises here with the valves?
2: Yeah, but before, we, so just very quick. No, let's do that now. Okay, let's do that now. So this is good, good point because it it nicely indicates the fact that. Um, Blood doesn't, like like we indicated before, doesn't start in one chamber and, and just moves through sequentially. Blood will begin in both atria and then both will contract at the same time, pushing blood through both valves yep. into both ventricles. Then both ventricles will contract at around about the same time, yep. pushing blood out through both arteries at the same time and so forth. So, so what we're saying is that blood flow through the pulmonary area. So remember we said that blood is going to go from the right ventricle to the lungs back to the left atrium mm. that's called the pulmonary circulation so the heart circul- uh, the lung circulation then when it goes from the left ventricle to the body and from the body back to the right atrium that's called the systemic circulation or peripheral circulation so there's two separate circulations but they're both they both have blood at the same time yep Blood moves through both of them at the same time. Yep. We need to iterate that. So
3: And the, and the other thing I'll just add here, even though you mentioned that the left ventricle pushes its blood out at a higher force, mm. at a higher pressure, because you've got more vessel length to push it to. Yeah. It's still delivering the same amount of blood out of the ventricles. So yes. the same volume leaves, let's say seven seventy mils yeah, leaves, per contraction. Per contraction. The right ventricle and the left ventricle. That's right. At the same time. Has to be the same. Yeah, Because if you get it imbalanced, then
2: all the blood's going to end up on one side. Exactly, exactly. So both sides need to pump out about five litres of blood every minute. Uh, but we'll get to that point. So heart sounds, which is important clinically, so sometimes you might go to the doctors, they might put a stethoscope on your chest. What do you hear? Um, lub-dub, lub-dub, lub-dub.
3: There we go. So, that basi- so is that it? We're done? <laughs> Basically, yes. Oh. That, that is referred to as... S one, S2, two, S one, two. So S one, S two, yep. Lub is S
2: one. Yep. And dub is S two. Correct. And, and
3: S just stands for sound. So Sound one, sound two. Sound one sound two.
2: Okay. So let's first start with the Lub, S one, sound one. What is that?
3: Okay, so if you were gonna have a guess, we're referring to the valves, that's what's making the noise. Yep. Or the reverber- reverberation of the of the, the blood in the heart as a result of the, the valves doing something. Mm-hmm which part of it do you think would – and we know they're opening, closing, opening, closing. Which part do you think would make the sound? So if I was to go – if we're going to move from uh, where we are now, the living room, into the bedroom – oh, I shouldn't have said that. But anyway. (laughs) um, (laughs) All right, guys, we're just
2: going to pause for a minute and (laughs) uh, (laughs) –
3: Do you think the sound of the door would be most audible when you open the door? Or close the door? Close the door. Okay, that's right. So S1 and S2 is the closing of these valves, not the opening.
2: So you don't ever hear the opening?
3: Well, that becomes more pathological.
2: Okay, so can I make a guess here? Yeah. S1 is the first sound. That's the first sound. And if you think about... That's the lub. And if you think about the blood flow, it's going to go from atria to ventricles. Mm -hmm. So the valves are open during this stage. Then when the ventricles both contract...
3: Start to contract, yep.
2: Start to contract, it's going to push blood against all the walls within the ventricles, including the valves, and force the valves shut. That's right. So is is both the left and right atrioventricular valves closing the lub? Yep. Okay.
3: So it's the tricuspid closes? Yep. And the mitral valve closes. That's the lub. That's the lob. And, and they're pretty pretty much together.
2: So can I just say, so when that happens, that lub happens, that will coincide with blood leaving the ventricle and going into the respective arteries, pulmonary trunk and aorta.
3: Almost, not quite. Okay. but Pretty much, pretty much. So to that a point.
2: F- fraction of a second after that, yeah, yeah. the blood will move through into yeah. those various arteries. Yeah. Uh, at that stage, the the pulmonary and aortic valves are open because open. blood's moving through them to get out. Yep. But then when the heart relaxes, yep. the blood wants to fall back in yep. to those ventricles but gets stopped by those valves no, and they that's they the close. dub. Yep. That's, that's S2. That's S2. So yep. S1 is closing of AV valves. Yep. S2 is closing of semilunar valves. Yes.
3: Brilliant. Okay. And the only thing I'll add to the S2, but you've said it perfectly, but the only thing you could add to it, depending on what the individual is doing, so if the individual takes a really deep breath whilst you're listening to the chest, oh, like yeah, yeah. the auscultation, there may be a slight separation in the dub because oh. so it's not perfectly aligned just because oh. of the pressure differences between um, the blood ves- bl- blood pressure going to the lungs yeah. and the blood pressure going out to the body. Oh, interesting. Because when you take a deep breath in, yeah. your diaphragm goes down yeah, and it will change the pressure within your thoracic cavity. Gotcha. And that will drop... Open
2: up the vessel, yeah. so reduce the pressure in the vessel. I it will, but it
3: will also bring more blood back into the heart, which puts a, a greater pre... And I
2: think pre- that's pre-birth. because you, ing- when you take a breath in, you increase intra-abdominal pressure, which squeezes the veins... And, yeah. and throws blood back into the right side of the heart. So you get
3: a bit more blood going back into the right ventricle. Yeah. So it takes a bit longer for it to get the blood out.
2: Which is sort of how the Valsalva manoeuvre works. When you sort of, you know when you go to the toilet and do a poo and you sort of go, and you uh, faint. and you feign, you have syncope, and you go, and you push against, trying to push air out of a closed glottis, out of a closed airway. Um, that increases intra-abdominal pressure, which actually squeezes the veins, reintroduces blood back into the heart. Um, So you get this increase in cardiac output, blood flow. Anyway, all right. So So that's the
3: sounds. That's the sounds.
2: Brilliant, brilliant. Um, The coronaries, if we just were to jump back to the anatomy of the coronaries for a minute, um, they're the ones that feed the heart. They're very important, obviously, because if they are blocked at any particular point – you die. well, uh, or At least the heart muscle does. Yeah, that's, that's probably a better <laughs> and way to say it. Yep. If they're fully blocked and it's not fixed, you can die. Yeah. Uh, it's called a myocardial infarction. Or a heart attack. Or a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, there's a whole bunch of coronary arteries. Um, coronary means crown. Yes, yeah, and is it because when it leaves the aorta to deliver the blood, it sort of circles yeah. around the base of the heart, the top of the heart? That's my understanding, yeah. Okay, so that means then you've got your coronaries leaving your aorta. Two coronaries sort of come out of the aorta. Um, right and left? Right and left. The left coronary artery sort of moves around the left-hand side of the top of the heart. The right moves around the to- top of the right-hand side of the heart.
3: The, the left kind of goes skirts around the back of the pulmonary trunk. Then, yep. then it kind of appears yep. just kind of below... The, um, well, it's actually called the oracle, which is the, oracle, the, yeah. e- the ears of the
2: heart. Oh, do we have to talk about the oracle? It's sort of just – so when you it's look just,
3: at – It's just remnants of uh, what the atria, um, additional space it had, particularly when you were in an embryo. And if the heart overfills,
2: is, you can actually chuck blood into the oracle as a yeah. bit of a backup. But
3: it just looks like an ear.
2: Yeah, but ignore it. Um, <laughs> so the left coronary, generally speaking – has a number of branches that predominantly delivers blood to the left-hand side of the heart. And the right coronary predominantly delivers blood to the right-hand side and back of the heart.
3: They bring it around and they meet up together.
2: Yeah, for some people, not for all, but for some people, at around about the apex, the right and left coronary arteries sort of anastomosize or come back together again at around about the apex. But that's not for everyone. And some people have had… There's
3: big variations. There's huge
2: variation. But generally speaking, the left… Um, coronary artery um, has a couple of branches, one being the circumflex, yep. which circumflex. It flexes and curves around the the rest of the top the, of the heart.
3: Yeah, the left side of the heart. The, the then back.
2: you've got the um, what's called the LAD, generally speaking, the left anterior descending, also known as the anterior interventricular artery.
3: Also known as the widow maker.
2: Probably the most important. It is it was probably the most important artery, a uh, coronary artery, because it delivers blood to the left hand side of the. It's the, the, the most commonly
3: affected with um, myocardial ischemic events,
2: uh, and and has the greatest impact if you have a blockage in it. Hence, the widow maker. Because it delivers blood to the left ventricle. I didn't
3: come up with that term, by the way.
2: No, you didn't. Um, delivers blood to the left ventricle and left interventricular septum, which is important because. If that doesn't get the oxygen it needs, it won't contract. If it doesn't contract, blood doesn't go to the whole body.
3: Yeah, and, and also it, this is going. What, what's coming through the interventricular septum, which just basically means um, uh, what septum separ- uh, separation yeah. between the two ventrica. Mm. What runs through there is an important electrical conductive system, which we're yes. talk about. Yes, and if you kill off that area, you could go into some pretty bad rhythms cardiac arrest Mm. even
2: um so that's the left you know they're they're pretty much the two important ones on the left hand side of the heart do you agree yeah um and then on the right hand side of the heart um you're basically gonna have the right marginal artery uh and i think just that's keep it
3: as the right coronary is enough
2: and yeah yeah it's i think that's probably i think as long as we talk about the left anterior descending or the Left interventricular, yep. I think that's fine. All right, they're the current – and you've got veins, obviously, which is brilliant, but they basically move in parallel with the arteries. So, um, all right, muscle-wise, heart muscle is one of three muscles in the body. Now you've got cardiac muscle, which is the heart muscle that we're focusing on today. You've got skeletal muscle, which attaches to the bones and allows for locomotion to occur, movement. And you've got smooth muscle, which lines our hollow organs, which basically works to move substances through. So cardiac muscle is a little bit different to those other two muscles. It's the same in the sense that just like all muscle, it contracts to produce force uh, its job is to pump blood, like we stated to or alluded to earlier. It looks very different to the other two under the microscope. Uh, it is striated, like skeletal muscle, so it looks like it has stripes associated with it. So it's got actin and myosin filaments, which allow which – they're the contractile proteins. But they have a branched shape to them, cardiac muscle. Mean? It means that it looks like there's multiple branches – <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like a long cylinder, like skeletal muscle. Oh, okay, okay. It's not like uh, a, Fusiform. A, a spindle or an eye shape, like smooth it's muscle. Smooth. It's like a branch. Okay. So one cardiac muscle cell or myocardial cell has arms that come off it. But each arm is attached to another arm of another cardiomyocyte or heart muscle cell. And they're all connected to each other through these branches. How are they holding hands? So this is a good point. So there's two important things here. You've got anchorage points, which anchors each muscle, each branch together, called a desmosome. But you've also so got it stops them ripping apart. It stops them ripping apart. Because think about it. Each muscle will contract individually. Yeah. So one muscle cell will shorten. But if it's attached to, like for example, if I was to hold your hand across the table now, and then both of us were told to contract, pull our arms in, would be opposing each other, would be mm. pulling at each other. Um and so if we didn't have these desmosomes anchoring, we'd pull apart. So the heart muscle has that. The other thing that they have, which is very different to the other muscle types, is gap junctions. They've basically got spaces or connection points, communication points from one muscle cell to another. Like channels. Channels which allow for because remember, when muscles contract, they're contracting because calcium has jumped so into ex- the muscle. Excitable tissue. Yes. And once they're excited, they're excited to contract. They
3: want to excite each other.
2: Exactly. Wow. Uh,
3: By sending excitable stuff through these canals.
2: Yes. And predominantly, at the end of the day, it's it's calcium. Calcium is what tells muscle to contract. So if calcium is free inside of a muscle cell, the muscle will contract. So if you chuck calcium into one single muscle cell, it's going to trigger a response to tell the next muscle cell to release a bunch of calcium, which will trigger the next muscle cell to release. Cal- because there's a communication network inside. Okay. So all of the positive calcium or even positive sodium that's inside of one cell can spread or diffuse to the next one. And this is important because it means that if you contract one heart muscle cell, you contract all heart muscle cells. And the term we use for that is a syncytium. Okay. So the heart works, heart muscle cells work as a syncytium, which means one... Acts as all,
3: so it's a, like a nice, smooth contraction. It's all orchestrated because if it wasn't, it would be like a bucket of worms
2: or a bag of worms. A bag, <laughs> yeah. Buckets don't move, but bags do. Okay, yeah.
3: And so a result of that would be a very poor quality of contraction. Yeah, uncoordinated. And no blood movement. No right? blood really comes out. Yeah. And these are actually what we call dysrhythmias. Yeah, where the rhythm of the heart is affected. And in the a, a, rhythm of the an example here, if this is happening in the ventricle mm. and it's just wobbling, yeah. we call it fibrillating, yep. that would probably mean no blood's getting pumped out of the ventricle.
2: Yeah, because there's no hard contraction to do it.
3: And this would be moving into a medical emergency. Because I
2: would think it is definitely a medical emergency. Yeah. Um, my wife works as a cardiac technician and, uh, sonographer, all right? No, 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 moving into sonography. Okay. But at the moment does halter monitors, ECGs, things like that, stress tests on people, people who have uh, supposed or actual cardiac conditions. Okay. And, um, yes, yeah, she had a patient come in with a, with a heart rate of um, – well, the heart rate became 300 beats per minute, which is very quick. Mm. Um, and when it beats that quick, there's no time for it to fill. If there's no time for it to fill, there's no time for it to empty. If it doesn't empty, you go unconscious very quickly and nothing, nothing gets comes fed. out of it. And that's what you're referring to. You can have heart beating super quick or can have it beating in this uncontrolled manner. Like you said, a bag of worms. There's no coordination. It's just pff, nothing comes out.
3: All right. And the point there is to have a, an effective heart, you want to have this, what did you call it? Cisicinum? Syncytium?
2: Syncytium.
3: To be that's
2: i n. I'm doing this off the top of my head, guys. We're just we are honestly doing this podcast off the top of our dome, so hopefully it all makes sense. Syncytium is s y n c t i u m.
3: Okay, but the take home <laughs> point here is um, you want all these muscles through their combination of their gap junctions to allow this nice coordinated contraction that, like a wave,
2: yeah. You want the at- the muscles of the atria to contract first to push the blood down into the ventricles. Then you want the ventricles to contract second from bottom up like you're ch- squeezing a tube of toothpaste, right? To get yes. this, Because yes. both of the arteries that leave the heart are superior to it. So you need to pump the blood up. So yep. you want it to contract from down upwards. Um, and it, it's all patterned in this beautiful way. And we'll talk about that in one second. The final point I want to get across here is that the heart muscle – which is doing all the contraction here, uh, is of a different thickness in different areas of the heart. So it's thinnest at the atria, thickest at the ventricles, and the left v- ventricular wall... Extra thick. Four times Super thicker. Super thick. Four times, Matt.
3: Okay, I always thought of three, but... No,
2: you're wrong. The left ventricle is four times thicker th- than the wrong. right ventricle. Why? Um, Why? Come on.
3: muscle. Quick. Us- mu- <laughs> muscle usually goes with force. Mm-hmm. Or in terms of muscle size, right? Yeah. Um, that's so, why my
2: biceps are ten, four times bigger than your biceps. Okay, so that, why that?
3: you can lift uh, four times greater weight.
2: Twelve times yeah.
3: Okay. Um, Exponential. All right. Um, but that's kind of the theory, right? So the left ventricle has to just push against a greater force. Yeah. Or into a circuit that has a greater pressure.
2: Muscle grows in accordance with um, a, a Load. Yeah. Opposing force and load. Um, you know, you go to the gym, the more load and force that you oppose the muscle with, the muscle responds by getting bigger. It's called hypertrophy. The heart does the same.
3: But we have to state here go on. that there is just because the heart becomes bigger doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing for it. So if you are yes, if you've got hypertrophy, which just means muscle growth of the heart,
2: that doesn't it could, yeah, it's it not good or be, bad.
3: It could be pathological. It could be left oh, let's just say heart hypertrophy yeah so i just saw a picture um just recently on twitter and the heart they did a chest x-ray mm-hmm. and the heart took up the whole chest space
2: okay that's a big heart yeah
3: so it would be but i don't mean that
2: figuratively <laughs> no. that's a little. it would probably
3: be if i looked at it and estimated <clears throat> it, it'd probably be three times bigger than it should be wow even more maybe four times wow um and that was the cause of that was rheumatic heart disease, and so, mm. what would lead to that? You kind of alluded to it earlier. An infection, a bacterial infection, leads to this long-standing inflammatory process that causes the buildup of plaques on presumably, in this case, on the aortic valve. Yes, and it becomes hardened. Hardened, but it just gets filled with. Um, I call it vegetations. Really, and it just stops. So I, I can't give you the exact diameter, mm. but um, what, what would be the diameter of a uh, top drink. of a bottle that you drink, like a drink bottle? Yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, maybe about probably the r- radius would be two centimeters. Okay, so let's just go diameter. With that. Maybe no diameter. Maybe three centimeters.
3: Let me, let's just say that's that's what it is. I'm okay. I'm, I'm guessing here, right? Yeah. Um, that's what it should be. So yeah. That's the blood. Sized diameter that it has to push out against. Right. Now, over time, after this particular condition, the rheumatic heart disease, yep. it goes from that diameter to a straw size. Okay. And so the left ventricle is trying to push this 120 millimeters of mercury, yeah. high amount of force, out this little, small little pipe now. Yeah. And so it goes, God, this is a lot of work. Yeah. I better build more muscle. Yes. And in this person, it's gotten so big, it's taken up the whole That's chest insane.
2: size. That's insane.
0: Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: But this wouldn't be a good growth. No.
2: So let's talk about that. So while the left-hand side of the heart is four times thicker than the right, it's four times thicker because it needs to deliver blood to the top of the head, to the tip of the toes. So it needs to generate more force. Therefore, more muscle is required. Easy. The right-hand side only needs to deliver it to the lungs, which is sitting, you know, just right next door, so it doesn't need to generate that much force. Um, if you are an athlete or somebody who exercises a great deal, you're working your heart. So I want you to think about this.
3: And you would actually get high blood pressure during that exercise, Yeah. Yeah, right?
2: so, okay, so let's talk about this very briefly because I think this is a really interesting point um, and it might be the topic of a whole podcast, who knows. But um, you are sitting at home, you're just sitting down on the couch, your heart every minute is pumping out five litres of blood through, and let's just say it's pump, the left-hand side of the heart is pumping out five litres of blood every single minute. That five litres needs to be delivered to all the tissues of your body in an appropriate quantity under an appropriate pressure. Now, 5% of that five litres goes to your heart, so the coronary arteries to feed it. 15% goes to your brain. 25% goes to your gut. 20% goes to your kidneys. 20% goes to your muscles and 5% goes to your skin. Now, if you do the calculations, that's 90% of the blood. The remainder 10% goes to the remaining tissues of the body. But they're the major tissues that need to be fed, and that's how much of that 5 litres needs to go to all those areas. So that means 20% of your 5 litres at rest, which is 1 litre, 1 litre of blood goes to your muscles at rest every minute. Okay. Now you decide to start doing some burpees or go for a run or something. The, The... Muscle starts to contract. To contract, it needs needs oxygen because it needs that oxygen and glucose to create ATP, and therefore the demand goes up. More blood needs to be delivered to the muscles. So we need to find a way to deliver more blood to the muscles specifically, and not go to other tissues of the body. Now, when you're doing this, you're putting yourself into a stressed situation, so you stimulate the sympathetic nervous system. Right? That's fight or flight. Its response is to send a signal down to all of those small blood vessels that feed these tissues called arterioles. They've got heaps of muscle in them, smooth muscle. And they tell them all to constrict. So now you've constricted all of these blood vessels feeding all those tissues that I just outlined, right? And so the blood backs up into the systemic circulation. Blood backs up into the left ventricle. And the left ventricle goes, whoa, this blood's, like you were saying earlier, really hard for me to pump out. I need to pump harder and faster, and it does that, and in doing so increases the pressure inside. So your blood pressure, like you said, in response to exercise goes up. But we've just told all these blood vessels to constrict. We want the blood vessel at the muscle to dilate. So how do we do that? For some really interesting reason, smooth muscle has an additional receptor on it for the sympathetic nervous system, which overwhelms the one that tells it to constrict, and it tells it to relax and dilate. And at the same time, the motor neuron that goes to the skeletal muscle to tell the muscle to contract will release acetylcholine. That's the neurotransmitter that tells skeletal muscle to contract. This acetylcholine can spill over to your blood vessels and acetylcholine inhibits the sympathetic nervous system from telling your smooth muscle to contract in those blood vessels and it relaxes.
3: So does that mean uh, smooth muscle in blood vessels, um, when it's not told to activate, will actually... Intrinsically dilate?
2: Correct. Unless, so this is all extrinsic, um, um, extrinsic, uh, what would you say? Um, Control or regulation of blood pressure. But all of these tissues have intrinsic or local control measures. So if one tissue is low in oxygen, that low oxygen or high carbon dioxide that will be present will tell the local blood vessels to dilate. Um, If you've got high metabolites, lactate, um, things like that, um, very acidic, it tells the blood vessel to dilate as well.
3: And that would be is, – isn't that actually the exact different, the opposite to what happens in your lung? Yes, that's right. So if you have a region of your lung tissue mm. that has low oxygen, it would actually vasoconstrict because it doesn't want to bring blood to that part of your lung because if it's got low oxygen – it assumes that it's not well ventilated. Yes, because the
2: lung is trying to – it's doing the opposite. At the tissues, blood is delivering oxygen, but in the lungs, blood is trying to receive oxygen. So if the lungs – so at a normal tissue, let's say, of my feet, if there's low oxygen at the tissue of my feet, well, I need more. So I dilate the blood vessel so more oxygen gets in. At the lung, if there's low oxygen at the lung, it's because the lungs not bringing in oxygen. So it's not going to tell the blood vessel to dilate – because it's wasting blood. Yeah. Yeah. It says, well, no blood, no oxygen there. I'm going to constrict. We're going to go to another part of the land that's got good oxygen. Anyway, the point I was trying to make here is that blood vessels will dilate and relax at muscle when you're exercising compared to all the other tissue. And it can increase the amount of blood going from one litre per minute up to 20 litres per minute because of these relaxation. Now, interestingly, and this is another digression, I'll stop after this. Acetylcholine seems to tell... Smooth muscle in blood vessels to relax at the muscle tissue. So they thought, "Oh, so does that then mean we can throw acetylcholine at coronary arteries and tell the coronary arteries to relax. The opposite happens. Coronary arteries constrict, and it leads this to is ischemia. And we don't know why.
3: Is that just because of the parasympathetic effect in the heart?
2: Not, we don't know. We don't know. but we do know that wherever you throw nitric oxide, all the blood vessels will dilate. Mm-hmm. So that's why they throw nitric oxide at the coronaries. coronaries to tell them to relax. That's the main vasodilatory chemical in all your blood vessels is nitric oxide. Okay. And that's released by the cells of your blood vessel. Okay, that's, so that's a digression. All right, we need to talk about the conduction system of the heart, Maddie. So this is the electrical components of the heart that tell the heart to contract. And but
3: this, it, works, this kind of works on top of that... Um, process we spoke about how the myocytes, the cardiomyocytes, so the muscle cells of the heart have their own ability to kind of coordinate their own contraction. Yes. This is kind of a system on top of that, right? Yeah. Where it kind of – it overlays it to control the, the process itself.
2: Yes. So the way you should think about it is there are specialised heart muscle cells in two major areas of the heart. One is sitting in the atria, the muscle of the atria. The top top of the atria? And the other one's sitting in the muscle of the ventricles, top of the ventricles.
3: Or or kind of between the two, yeah, between the atria and ventricles.
2: Yeah. And so the one at the atria is called the sinoatrial node and the other one's called the atrioventricular node. So the sinoatrial node, sino means sinus, Atria is referring to the fact that it sits at the muscle of the atrium. It sets what we call the sinus rhythm, which is around about, what, 70 beats a minute. Um, Now, it does something called spontaneous depolarization. What does that mean? In order for a heart muscle to contract, I said you need to throw calcium in. But the only way or the main way that we actually throw calcium into a cell is by throwing sodium into the cell first. And sodium mainly sits outside of a cell. So the sinoatrial node, these nodal cells that we call them, they've got channels for sodium that are just constantly open and it lets sodium constantly leak in. And once enough sodium has gone in to the nodal cell, it triggers the opening of calcium channels and calcium jumps in and then it stimulates this whole contractile component. So the very first thing that happens is the sinoatrial node triggers this spontaneous depolarization. Every nearly, a little bit more than every second, sodium drifts in, triggers what we call depolarization, calcium comes in, stimulates muscular contraction, and then the whole thing happens again. Drifts in. Now, at all times, every single cell in your body has a sodium-potassium ATPase pump, which takes that sodium and throws it back outside. Potassium is involved in this process, where the potassium leaks outside, but don't worry about that yet. All right, so it starts at the cytoatrial node. It throws sodium in, triggers depolarization. It sends this signal, remember I said all the cardiomyocytes are connected to one another? So the sodium moves from one heart muscle cell to the next through these gap junctions, through these channels. So when the cytoatrial node sets the rhythm, it spreads it to all the atria, the muscles of the atria as well. And then wherever the sodium goes, the calcium follows, and then all the atria contract. Then it funnels because there's like this fibrous tissue between the atria and the ventricles.
3: Which is an important point to make. So this is, almost, this is almost like the skeleton of the heart. It's made out of fibrous tissue. And this is the anchor point for where the, um, the valves kind of sit into. Yeah. But, but the important point here that Mike's making is that this fibrous tissue um, stops the electrical activity. So exactly. So there's no further – it's almost like a wall – Electrical activity through the atrium now stops.
2: Yep, and gets funneled into just one point. And this one point that it funnels through is the AV node, the atrioventricular node, the one that sits between the atrium and the ventricles. And it funnels through and takes about 0.1 of a second to funnel this this sodium through. this. Because remember, the sodium is what spread through the atrium. Now it funnels through the AV. And from the AV node, it funnels through into what we call the bundle of his or the bundle branches, and then spreads through to the rest of the bundle branches. That goes down the septum. The septum inter- separates the left the and the right inter- ventricles. Interventricular. It's muscle, but it separates the two ventricles. So this electrical activity spreads through the, the bundle branches and then goes down to the apex and then spreads from the tip of the apex, the bottom of the heart, back up through the walls, the, the lateral or side walls of the ventricles, and they're called the Pekinji fibres. And as it sends this electrical signal, and this electrical signal is actually just sodium moving through, from AV down to bundle of his, down to bundle branches left and right, down to the Pekinji fibres that then goes back up to the heart, up to the top, towards the top of the ventricles. That is the conduction system. Number one SA node, number two AV node, number three bundle of his, number four bundle branches, number five Pekinji fibres. And as this sodium moves through in this order, calcium follows, muscular contraction follows after that. And that is our conduction system.
3: And you can actually measure this, right? You can do a special uh, diagnostic investigation where you can look at the electrical...
2: Called an ECG if you're in Australia or an EKG for some odd reason everywhere else. (laughs) Because for some reason they spelt cardio with a K in Germany and then Americans decided to spell it with a K as well. Okay. Um, yeah, so an ECG just measures... And
3: so you can see all these components that you spoke about. So yeah. on the ECG, when the SA node fires, you mm-hmm. can see a little bump, yep. which is called a P wave. Yep. And then nothing happens.
2: So Because of that, that 0.1 second break as it so moves with the fibrous... So it's flatlining. Yep.
3: And then we see the biggest part of the ECG, which is the QRS complex. Yep. And what's happening there.
2: So there's a cheat sheet that everyone should remember. So remember, when you are doing an ECG, you've got all these... Um, little sticky dots that you put on the chest and on the arms. All of them are different sets of eyes on the heart, looks at the heart from a different angle. Electrically. If, electrically. If you look at around about V4 and have a look at the V4 lead, that's sitting at that fourth interco- fourth to fifth intercostal space on the left-hand side. And at the very beginning of this podcast, I said that is where the apex of your heart sits. So V4 is… V4. It's like
3: you're sitting at the left hip.
2: Yeah, it's like you're looking up through the heart from the apex towards the base, right? And so if you look at just that lead on an ECG, it's going to pick up all the electrical activity that goes towards it and away from it. And if if electrical activity that's positive goes towards it, you get a bump up on the ECG. If the electrical activity that's positive goes away from it, you get a dip down. If you have negative activity that goes towards it, you get a dip down, which makes sense. It's the opposite of the positive going towards it. And if you've got negative going away from it, you get a bump up, right? And that's the cheat sheet. And I said sodium is moving through all these different parts of the conduction system. Sodium's positive. positive. So basically you start at the SA node, it releases all this sodium. Sodium moves through the muscle, the SA node, and then the atrium, and it moves in the direction of this lead. So you get a little tiny bump up because atrial muscle is not that big. So that's P wave? That's the P wave. Then there's the break, like you said. It's called the isoelectric point where nothing's happening because of that 0.1 second break as it moves through the AV node. And then it moves down the bundle of hiss and then down through the two bundle branches. That's towards it? Well, it's towards it, but here's the thing. The left bundle branch, which is in the interventricular septum, has branches that branch off but goes away from the lead. Right? Okay. And so but because it's such a thin area, this septum, you've got sodium moving away from the lead very quickly. So you actually get a dip down. That's a Q? That's the Q wave, okay. which is a downward deflection. Okay. But then once it gets to the apex and moves through the Pekinji fibers, all these fibers, predominantly those on the left-hand side, because remember, the left-hand side's four times thicker than the right. Mm-hmm. So whatever's happening in the left muscle of the ventricle is going to overwhelm what's electrically what's happening on the right and most of the Purkinje fibers branch in the direction of V4 lead Okay, and so you get this very steep peak up because the sodium's moving in the direction of the lead that's R that's the R wave and then after it moves in the direction of the lead, it then moves back up. Remember I said it moves up and away.
3: On each side wall.
2: Each side wall of the ventricles to go towards the atria again. And therefore, it's the positive going, going away. is moving away from yeah. the lead and you get a dip down.
3: S-wave.
2: S-wave. And so the whole heart now has been um, well, told to depolarize and contract. So contractions occurred, but there's one more wave left on the ECG.
3: So, but at this point, because the contraction's finished... Or the is finished. So yep. we go into a, another flat
2: point. Another flat line because the heart's so, going, okay, I'm done now. I've contracted. I've pumped all the blood out.
3: Okay, so this is between the Q and the T.
2: That's right. So, so the,
3: this is – sorry, the S and the T. So this is the ST interval. Yep. Okay, and then as we go um, into so, the last little bump. Yeah. So
2: Think about where it finished. So the – So
3: now we're repolarizing.
2: We've got to reset the heart again. So I said that the sodium moved – from the SA node to the AV node, from the AV node down the hiss, down the hiss, down the bundle branches to the apex, and then from the apex it moved back up towards the base of the heart. So it finished up towards the base of the heart. Yep. When the heart resets, it starts where it finishes. Oh, okay. It comes which, backwards. That's right, which means it then moves down towards the lead and then back away from okay. the lead. And the biggest movement is away from the lead. And it's negative. We're resetting it. So we're making it negative again. Okay. So we just threw a bunch of it, positive and things and it, in. And is
3: that part to do with the pump?
2: This is the sodium-potassium pump. So in actual fact, we're resetting the heart by throwing all the sodium out, all the potassium in. But we're making that inside of the heart negative again because yeah. it started off as negative for the positive sodium to get in. Okay. And that's, it moved away really from and the... And that's the T wave. That's the T wave. And
3: just a really interesting point to add here. Because the... Um, the pump, the um, sodium potassium pump, which you're saying is resetting it all. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Correcto. It's a pump, so it's energy dependent. Yep. So it needs a, need a lot of what? energy, a- ATP, tri- which needs a lot of oxygen. Okay. And so this part of the ECG, you could just, let's just say, but working off that principle, it's very oxygen dependent. Yep. And so people who are going into problems with oxygenating their heart, this is the part of the ECG that will go awry. And this is yeah. the ST segment. Yeah. And so if it's completely blocked mm. and you get in no kind of uh, movement through, then you get what we call a ST elevated MI or a STEMI. Mm. And if not quite as much, it would it, it would generate something called a non-STEMI. But, but essentially this is a, a heart attack and this is how they would know you're having a heart attack or – are in a heart attack or just had a heart attack by looking at the ECG, by this part of the ECG, because it's all to do with the oxygen status, which means to do with the pump, which means the resetting as Mike spoke about with the repolarization.
2: And if you want to know about STEMI and NSTEMI, I did a video on it on the YouTube channel. So just Google Dr. Mike STEMI and I explain exactly the pathophysiology of a STEMI, what's happening in the heart muscle. So feel free. So that's the conduction system. An interesting point here with the sodium-potassium pump is that there's a drug called digoxin or digitalis that plays around with that pump because that pump throws three positive sodium out of the heart muscle cell and two positive potassium in, right? So it generates a gradient where there's a whole bunch of sodium outside the heart muscle cell. That sodium wants to come in and it can exchange itself for calcium. So when the sodium comes in, the calcium goes out. Now, if calcium leaves the heart muscle cell, it doesn't contract, right? This is a normal thing that happens, right? That's fine. But for some people who we want to give them a better, more efficient, stronger heart contraction, we can give them digitalis or digoxin. And what that does is it blocks the sodium-potassium pump, which means the sodium accumulates inside the cell, which means it can't exchange it for the calcium. So the calcium also accumulates inside the cell, which means with accumulated calcium inside the cell a stronger contraction occurs so the heart becomes more efficient at contracting all right now the last point that or major point that i want to focus on here is the the blood that's coming out of the heart called cardiac output and a little bit about blood pressure we've done a whole episode on i think both of these things but we're going to touch upon it briefly we said briefly that the heart will pump out five litres of blood every minute. Right, mm. So each side actually pumps out. So that's out. cardiac output. That's cardiac output. And it's an easy thing to calculate, right? Because you can go, well, I know that the heart will beat 70 times a minute uh, and with every beat, so with every contraction, it's going to pump out 70 millilitres of blood. So 70 beats times 70 millilitres gives you around about five litres. So that's a simple equation. That's called the cardiac output equation, which is... Heart rate, how many beats, times how much blood it pumps out called the stroke volume. Super simple. SV times HR. HR equals CO, cardiac output. Which also means that if you change either of those two variables, you're going to change cardiac output. Increase heart rate, well, you're going to increase how much blood gets pumped out in a minute. Increase stroke volume, increase how much blood gets pumped out every minute. So then the question is, what things can increase or decrease heart rate and stroke volume? And there's a couple of things. First thing is the nervous system. So your autonomic nervous system, also known as your automatic nervous system, originating at the hypothalamus, uh, is comprised of your sympathetic nervous system or at least the major stimulus, I should say, for the sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic is the hypothalamus. Um, You've got the sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, Tries to keep you alive in moments of stress and fear and the parasympathetic nervous system which keeps you alive in moments of rest and relaxation. Makes sense that if you stimulate the sympathetic nervous system, you're going to stimulate the heart because if you want to stay alive in a stressful situation, you need more oxygen to be delivered to the muscles of your body, right? So you want to increase heart rate, stimulate sympathetic nervous system. Heart rate goes up, cardiac output goes up. But it also does a couple of other things. It does this because it innovates the sinoatrial node and the AV node and tells them to throw more sodium in far more quickly. So that depolarization, that movement of the sodium happens faster. So instead of 70 beats per minute, it may be 120 beats per minute, right? So it doesn't just increase the heart rate though. It can actually the sympathetic nervous system can actually talk to the muscle and tell the muscle to contract harder. So the myocardium itself. And it does this by playing around with, unsurprisingly, calcium. So that's the sympathetic nervous system. Increases heart rate, increases stroke volume. The parasympathetic nervous system does the opposite. It doesn't really innovate the myocardium. So it doesn't change the force, force of contraction. just the speed. But it just does change the speed of the SA node and the AV node. So that's just one thing. It's a couple of other things. Preload and afterload. Students freak out about preload and afterload. But it's pretty easy. Your heart needs to fill with blood and then your heart needs to contract and eject that blood.
3: Can you just give those terms because we kind of miss
2: those. Yeah, absolutely. So when your heart is contracting, the term we use is systole. Yep. When your heart is relaxing, the term we use is diastole. So the heart relaxes, it makes sense, it fills fills up with blood. Before it can eject it out. And then when it contracts, it ejects the blood. So think about this. And I'm going to get to this point in a second, but... Actually, no, I'll get to that point in a second. When you tell the heart to relax and it fills with blood, the point in which the ventricle is maximally filled with blood, it can't be filled anymore. It's the fraction of a second, the moment just before contraction. We call that moment preload, when the ventricle is maximally filled with blood. Preload is important because the more preload the more blood is filled, the more the ventricle is filled with blood. Right, And there's a thing called the frank starling mechanism, which means the more that the ventricle is filled with blood, the harder the heart contracts to eject that blood. Makes so sense. unsurprisingly, increased preload leads to increased stroke volume, which leads to increased cardiac output. Yep. All right, that's preload. Afterload is the force or pressure or resistance I should say that that ventricle needs to overcome to eject the blood out of the ventricle so if we take the left hand side of the heart the artery that's leaving is the aorta mm. now if you've got some sort of blockage or narrowing
3: like we spoke about
2: like we've spoken about before or you've got high degree of pressure in your arterial system when that left ventricle contracts to pump that blood out it has to go against a whole bunch of resistance which means if – and that's called afterload, the resistance that you encounter trying to eject the blood. So if afterload goes up, stroke volume goes down Mm. because you're experiencing more resistance. So there's an inverse relationship with afterload and cardiac output. Yeah. Right? Does that make sense? It does. Cool. So these are the major things that can affect cardiac output. It's speed of the heart, contractility Mm. of the heart. force. The force. And also preload and afterload. Okay. They're the major points. And then finally, blood pressure. This leads into blood pressure because blood pressure is the force that the blood is putting on the walls of the arteries. And part of the blood pressure equation is cardiac output. So in actual fact, the amount of force that the blood is placing on the walls of your arteries is cardiac output times the amount of resistance there is in the vessel. So this is how I like to think about it and it's called systemic vascular resistance or peripheral vascular resistance. What is systemic vascular resistance? Okay. You are you've gone out the back to water your plants. You've got your hose attached to your tap and you turn the tap on and water will and and you've turned the tap on so 5 liters of water comes out every minute, yep. right? Yep. At the end of that hose, the water's going to come out at a particular pressure. You fixed in your position, and you're trying to hose a plant that's one meter away, and you're feeding it, right? You're feeding it with that five liters of water that's coming out every minute. But then you've got another plant that you need to feed that's two meters behind that plant. The water doesn't make it to that plant. The pressure is not enough. The cardiac output is enough, right? But the pressure inside the hose isn't enough. So the question then is, how can I increase the pressure in that hose for, the, for it to feed that plant that's so far away? One of the answers is you can turn the tap on more and increase the cardiac output. That's one way. That's true. Right? Yep. Another way is you can change the diameter of the hose. You can put your thumb on the end of the hose and narrow it and then it squirts out even further. Hmm. So by narrowing the hose, you increase the resistance inside. And it changes the pressure. And it changes the pressure. Yep. So there's an inverse relationship here with the diameter of a hose or the diameter of a blood vessel and the blood pressure. You decrease the diameter of the vessel. Think about it. You've got two hoses, one that's like uh, a foot wide in its diameter and water's moving through it five litres a minute and another one that's one centimetre wide in diameter and water's moving through it five litres a minute. Mm. The one that's like a foot wide, water's just going to fall out at the end. Yeah. But the narrow one, water's going to squirt really far because it needs to get five litres out a minute. The only way you can do it is by making the fluid go faster. Mm. So the same thing happens in the blood vessels. So we can increase our blood pressure by two ways. Increase the cardiac output, how much blood gets ejected every minute. Out of the tap. And we told you how you can do that, heart rate, stroke volume. Or you can narrow the blood vessels. There's actually a third way, which is you can increase the length of your blood vessels, but you can't do that overnight and it's not clinically relevant unless you're obese.
3: Yeah, yeah. Or the viscosity as well, so the thickness of the blood.
2: Yeah, true, true.
3: But again, that's probably not as no. uh, you won't see that as.
2: Not unless you're a competitive cyclist from the nineties. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, which which is just an interest. in Digression. Well, yeah. We interviewed uh, or we spoke to a cardiologist in the UK. Yes. Um, Rowan. Yep. Doctor Rowan Francis, and he said that he. Uh, I'm not sure if he said he had patients or he had just heard of no this. case studies where um, competitive cyclists that were taking maybe certain agents that um, added the the degree of red blood cells in their blood. Erythropoietin. So, so instead of having EPO. Um, 45% of your blood being red blood cells, it may go up to 60%. Mm. So that, Thickens, that right? makes your blood a lot thicker. Yeah. And that's great when you're cycling because mm. you can carry so much more oxygen and you can do that cycling so much better. But the the drawback of this is thicker blood. And these particular athletes, it was so thick that in the middle of the night, they had to get up and go on a training bike to start cycling. Otherwise, they could potentially go into a stroke. Yeah, get clots. Because they get clots. So sludgy. Or the blood's so thick, it just doesn't perfuse into the capillary beds of the body. In this case, the blood. Sorry, the brain. So they developed or possibly could develop... um, Stroke, and I think he did say to us that it was relatively common. I shouldn't say relatively common, but in this cohort of people having an ischemic stroke, yes, um, there were heaps happening because of this issue. So that's viscosity.
2: Yes, you're right. So to change blood pressure, you change its cardiac output times the systemic vascular resistance, which is just the amount of resistance experienced in the blood vessel, which is mainly due to the diameter. If it's more narrow, resistance goes up, blood pressure goes up. If it's, d- re, if it's relaxed, resistance goes down, blood pressure goes down.
3: And just like we saw with the relaxation and the contraction of the heart, the same thing happens in, in the blood vessel. Yeah, We have um, a kind of a contractile phase and a relax relaxation phase, which is why we have systolic and diastolic blood pressure, yes. which is the high number
2: and the lower number. That's actually a really good point because, so, you know, if I were to do your blood pressure right now, um, I'll put a cuff around your left, lack of, I don't know, is that a bicep, something like that. Um, eh, arm. I'll say arm because it's not much of a bicep. Um, so I put the cuff around, I pump it up, and I measure your blood pressure. Like you said, two values. Let's say it's a, a, a normal, in quotations, um, blood pressure of 120 over 80. So that's 120 millimetres of mercury over 80 millimetres of mercury. This confused me for so long when I was an undergraduate because the 120, the top value, is representing the systolic value. So when your heart contracts, we said that's called systole, it's going to contract really hard, push blood out of the aorta or into the aorta, into the varus, and put a whole bunch of force and, and stress on the walls of those vessels. So that's the greatest pressure that you're... Uh, arterial system is under and that's 120 millimeters of mercury great then when your heart relaxes diastole i would think well why isn't it zero why is there no pressure in your vessels how come it's 80 Mm. what's going on and it took me a little while to figure out it's because when systole occurs and blood's pushed out of the heart into the arteries the arteries are really stretchy they're filled with elastic tissue so they stretch and then you get 120 millimeters of mercury with the pressure Then when the heart relaxes, the elastic tissue of the artery snaps back, recoils, and continues to push blood through. And this continuation of blood being pushed through is what gives you the 80 millimetres of mercury worth of pressure. So in actual fact, the systolic value is a representation of how, how hard the heart's contracting. The diastolic value is giving you an indication of how stretchy your arteries are. So if somebody's arteries are hardened... You're going to have a lower diastolic value, and it's called a widened pulse yeah. pressure, where the systolic is high, the diastolic is low, the difference between the two is great, and it's called a widened pulse pressure. And can be can be an indication of hardened arteries, yeah,
3: which usually goes in older age, and this yes. is part of the reason why the elderly are may more inclined to maybe have fainting episodes with change in yeah. postures because they that just changing from a horizontal to a vertical. And having that pulse pressure difference can be the difference, but with perfusing or not perfusing your tissue well mm. in those fractions of seconds, and if it's not perfusing your brain well, then you'll have a syncope or a fainting episode. Totally.
2: The interestingly, you know, I always have students say, "Why is it millimeters of mercury? What the, what's going on there? That's a strange unit to use." And it's simply just an old throwback. If I were to get your one of your arteries. And I was to connect it to a tube that's then connected to um, a container that has mercury in it, and I was to wait for your heart to contract. Under systole, if I had that tube with mercury, under systole it would shift that mercury up 120 millimeters in the tube. Right. Then, when your heart relaxes, that elastic recoil of your arteries would shift that mercury 80 millimeters. That's that's all it's referring to. You could refer to it as water. So I could say your blood pressure...
3: Centimeters of water.
2: Yeah, it, or, or millimeters. It would be something like uh, 1,500 millimeters over 1,000 millimeters or something, which basically is saying that if your blood pressure right now, your 120 millimeters of mercury, that pressure is equivalent of pushing your blood 1.5 meters. So in actual fact, the pressure of the blood moving through your arteries, if, if we were to just cut it out and have a look, it would squirt 1.5 meters. Okay. That's what that's saying. All right? That's under systole. And that's so that's, that's blood pressure. Um, now, the, I said the last thing before like three times, but I think we need to, because we're talking about the cardiovascular system, we need to just talk about the differences in the blood vessels, and I think we can finish with that. Sure. Um, so remember, leaving the heart is arteries. They branch off, and the smallest arteries are called arterioles. And then they will branch off into capillaries or capillary beds that feed the tissues. And then on the other end of capillary beds, you've got venules that coalesce into veins that then join back to the heart again, all right? Veins we always see in textbooks as blue, and it's simply because they've got less oxygen. Mm. Arteries look red because they've got more oxygen. That's just, a, and it's not reflective of true nature, but it's just an indication, right? Okay, all arteries have the... uh, Sorry, all blood vessels have the same three layers or tunicas. You have the tunica intima, which is the inner layer that's basically in contact with the blood Intimate with the blood. Yes, intimate with the blood. That's a good way of saying it. Uh, The tunica media, which is the middle layer, and the tunica externa, also known as adventitia. The intima is just endothelial cells, which is epithelial cells excuse me, epithelial cells of the blood vessels. Then you get the tunica media, which is predominantly for arteries, elastic tissue, and smooth muscle. For veins, there's, it's got smooth muscle, but not much. And then the tunica externa is connective tissue. All of these arteries, arterioles, capillaries, venules and veins have those same three layers, have the same components, just in different quantities. Arteries have heaps of elastic tissue in the media and the interna. Veins don't. Arterioles have huge amounts of smooth muscle in the media. Veins don't. Veins have very thin layers, which means they can distend really easily. Arteries... And they
3: hold a lot of blood, actually. They
2: hold a lot of blood. So the way you should think about it is like this. Arteries are filled with elastic tissue. They're elastic. So when the blood moves in, they can stretch. They've got a high distensibility, stretchability, and high degree of recoil. That's the first thing. In the arterioles, because they've got a lot of smooth muscle, they're capacitance vessels. So they can constrict, change the diameter, change blood pressure, and dilate, which means they can dictate where the blood goes, when it goes, and at what pressure. So capacitance vessels. The capillaries have little porous holes in them and there's different types of capillaries fenestrated sinusoidal and so forth that just that depends on the size of the holes really but the whole point is they exchange What comes them out of them so they're the sites of exchange the yeah. capillaries the venules and veins have very thin walls so if you put a bunch of blood into them they stretch heaps but they're not elastic. They don't snap back very well, but they're very stretchy. In actual fact, 65% of all the blood in the system, 64% is sitting in the veins. So they're re- blood reservoirs. yeah, Reservoirs. And that's how you should think about it. In actual fact, now I'm working off the top of my head here. At any one moment, 7% of your blood. So remember you have around about five to six liters of blood sitting in your body. At any one moment, 7% is in your heart. 13% is in your arterioles and capillaries. 7% is in your I'm going to try and get this right. liver. No, no, let me um no, okay. 7% is in your heart. 13% is in your arteries. 7% is in your arterioles and capillaries. 64% is in your venules and veins. And 9% is in your lungs. Wow. So 9% is in your pulmonary circulation at any one moment. The majority is in your systemic circulation and the majority of that is in your veins, 64%. Mm,
3: amazing.
2: Amazing. I think we need to go – I think we need That's – that's got to be it. I'm losing no, my voice. The
3: only additional thing we can add as uh, a discerning feature in the veins is they've got the valves there as well. Yeah, yeah. And now, so, why are they there? Well, they're there because, like you said with the arteries, the arteries are really – got a lot of force in them. Um, You know, the arteries have the pressure of 120 over 80 in them and a lot of the pressure is generated from the ventricle but also the elastic recoil. So they don't really have a great deal of problem delivering uh, pressure to the tissue, Mm. okay? But veins, the pressure is very low. Negligible. You You could be looking at, mm, let's say, between 10 and 20. Millimeters of mercury. Yeah.
2: Compared to 120 in the aorta.
3: And so you still have to bring all this blood back to the heart, particularly if it's your legs, right? Mm. And so the way it it returns the blood is through a muscle pump kind of thing. So as you start walking or locomotion, Mm. your calf muscles and your leg muscles start to squeeze the veins, particularly the deeper ones, um, and squash them. Right. And so this then shoots the blood towards the heart. How cool. But – it's, when it squeezes it it doesn't want to like a, a to, uh, toothpaste tube yeah if you just squeeze it in the middle mm-hmm. um, you don't it's going to go in both directions right yeah it's going to go out the top where you want it to go but if there was a hole in the bottom it would also shoot out the bottom as well of course yeah, so yeah. you need to have a valve system that stop it going backwards yes. and so all the valves sorry, all the veins have have valves as well and if they become dysfunctional particularly in the superficial valves superficial cool. veins you get a condition known as varicose veins, ah, and because gotcha. they become all um, filled, overfilled, tortuous, and um, hyperdilated. And you, because they're superficial, you see them much more prominently in in legs because it's working against a pressure system or against gravity, should I say? Gotcha. And so this could be problematic because they be, start to become insufficient, and you start to have problems with returning blood. Yeah. And if you're not Returning the blood well, and because as you spoke about, the veins hold such a high volume of blood. If you're not if you're not moving that stagnant blood, it increases the risk of DVT. It, it coagulating, mm. clotting, and then, as you said, a DVT, which is a deep vein thrombosis, which wow. means a clot starting to develop, more likely in the leg because you're working against gravity. Yeah, and then if that does happen, and let's just let's go backwards from this, as we spoke about. Um, blood flowing through the heart. If you get a a clot that breaks off in the legs, it's going to return up into the bigger veins and then ultimately the inferior vena cava, which goes in the right atria, Mm. goes down in the right ventricles because a big clot, it had to be a big clot to block these chambers off. So it will go through this and then it will go up into the pulmonary circuit and then that's going to lead to a condition known as a pulmonary emboli. Right, which Which isn't good. Which could be a a significant problem depending on the size of the clot and how much lung will be involved.
2: Well, that was a whirlwind tour of the cardiovascular system. As you're probably all aware, if you're still listening, uh, we we basically have done an episode on each of these topics and if we haven't, we will. But this is a nice summary, I think, of what any student should go through or understand of their heart, and vessels, and a bit of the dynamics of the blood flow through. You happy with that, Maddie? You have to be. We have to be. That's very true. Everyone, because there's still no going, there's
3: no going back. <laughs> That's true. an hour and a half of our lives gone.
2: Yeah, for you, dear listener. So, in repayment, Oof. we don't ask for your money. We simply ask for you to give us a five star rating. Tell your friends. Tell your teachers. Tell your pets about how great we are. And that you enjoy our content for free. Go subscribe. Go to our YouTube channel. Subscribe, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike. Uh, Feel free to send us an email, uh, which is gubiosciences at gmail.com. And just say how you guys are awesome. Um, Hate mail, not super keen on. But uh, please contact us. I'm on social media at Dr. Mike Todorovic on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. All over the place. Matt's just on Twitter. Snapchat? Not on Snapchat. Uh, you were? No, I've never been on Snapchat. Okay. No, I've never done that. Just TikTok? Yeah, Snapchat was a bit beyond me and then I went on TikTok. I never tried it. I just didn't understand it. I didn't know what the point of disappearing pictures and photos would be. Um, and then TikTok... Still don't understand how to use it. But I'm on there, so please come find me, Dr. Mike Todorovic. I've got a couple of short little videos on there about how the body works. Anyway, uh, I'm losing my voice. Matt, thank you for that. And we'll see you all soon. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?